0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Welcome to Days Like These. I'm Fazadraki. It seems that no one ever gets as much advice as they do when they have a kid, And in a strange way, the mountains of information can leave you feeling pretty alone, not quite knowing when to do what other people tell you and when to do the opposite. Today's story is about that decision. It's from reporter Sarah McPhee.
2: I was born in Rockhampton. We call it Rock Vegas, the beef capital of Australia, and I spent 18 years in Rockhampton. This
0: is Carney. She was born in 1979 in Rock Vegas to Terry and Jeff Liddell.
2: She was their first baby, and they were so excited to be parents. Back then, there wasn't ultrasounds and mum... Kept on going to the doctor and saying there's something wrong, she's not moving, all my friends are saying that their babies are kicking, I haven't felt anything, and they just sort of kept telling her that she's being
0: neurotic. So when Carney's mum, Terry, was told to hold tight it'd be okay. she had
2: no choice but to believe the doctors. But then came the birth. My mum had a very traumatic birth with me. I was breached, caesar, and uh, legs over the head kind of thing, very unwell-looking. And, yeah, was diagnosed at birth with spinal muscular atrophy. And what does that mean? Um, it means I've got a muscle-wasting disease. It used to mean he died really quickly in the first couple of years of life.
0: Terry was still in the hospital when the doctors told her this in the first few days of her new baby's life. The doctors said if Kani didn't die quickly, her
2: muscles would begin to waste away, that she'd get weaker and weaker over time. She was told absolutely that I would not walk, I would not crawl and I would not live past my teenage years. Everything internally that's a muscle you can think of is affected, so typically people with SMA die of lung or heart issues. And also, Mum and Dad were told to make me as comfortable as possible, was exercise actually makes this condition worse. Keep her comfortable, mm-hmm. what does that mean? It means don't move, put her in bed, put her in a wheelchair, put her in a home. My Mum and Dad both finished school in grade 10 and, you know, they had no education, they lived in Rockhampton, and all of a sudden, Mum's had this traumatic birth and they've come in and told mum that I wasn't going to live. I don't know how they survived even just their friends coming in with that look of sorry. You know, mum had no idea why I had this disease.
0: Terry couldn't understand it. She thought of all the things she'd done during pregnancy and wondered
2: if she'd done something to cause it. Mum for years thought she drank too much ribena juice because that was what she craved, and she jumped into the Fitzroy River when she was pregnant with me because my dog Lady jumped in the Fitzroy River to get a duck, and the Fitzroy River had just been sprayed. Back then they remember those big planes that sprayed everything, so Mum thought that's what it was. And for years I didn't move, I didn't roll, I didn't reach for a rattle. So for three and a half years, they just thought that this was it, this was true, this is what's going to happen to their kid. The doctors kept saying the same thing, keep her comfortable, do not move her, it'll
0: make her worse. But they were with her every day and they could see that keeping Carney still wasn't helping. Carney's dad, Jeff, had always been an active guy. He'd represented Australia in footy and triathlons and the doctor's orders just didn't sit right with him. So he devised a plan. They'd started doing this crazy rehab program
2: that they invented themselves.
0: He bought a kid's trampoline and started bouncing her on it, and he took her to the local swimming pool and swam with her.
2: I was really happy in the
0: water. I was free in the water. Jeff also stretched her limbs every day. He'd fold Carney's little body over a beach ball to help with the curvature of her spine. And whatever muscles Carney did have, he focused on strengthening them.
2: And it worked. I'd bum around. I started. I didn't actually crawl, I bummed, if that makes sense. So you bum on your your bum.
0: Then he found an old wooden standing frame and took it into his back shed to make some adjustments.
2: Dad chucked this thing on like a, I don't know, wheelbarrow type of thing, like it was wooden. And and he put the standing frame onto this and he painted it green and gold with little sunflowers on it. And from there they pushed me around the neighbourhood for up to six hours a day, every single day. You know, I don't know why they made that contraption. I don't even know how Dad figured it out in his head. But he did, and they had this wame around a dog lady that used to push me around, and, like literally nudge me around the neighbourhood. What was their goal? To walk. To live. Dad just thought to himself, well, if she's not going to be here for very long, why don't we just give it a crack? And then all of a sudden at three and a half, I I took my first step. Carney was off. She started walking. But this didn't change the
0: medical advice. The doctors saw how Carney walked with an obvious gait and they worried that the movement would stress her muscles. When she was four years old, her doctor told Carney's parents about a place called the Montrose Home for Crippled Children. He wanted them to visit. He wanted them to see what muscle-wasting diseases looked like as time goes on, and he wanted them to consider the home for Carney. Her parents booked a trip to Brisbane to visit the home. It's one of Carney's earliest
2: memories. It was so dark. The place was so dark. I remember seeing electric wheelchairs, kids, beds, ventilators, and my dad crying. In the early 80s, these homes were really common for kids like Carney.
0: She says, if you had a disability, it was basically expected you'd live in a home. But her parents took one look at the place and decided it wasn't for Connie. Instead, they fought to have her accepted into a mainstream school in
2: Rocky and kept up the physical therapy regime they devised themselves. I was one of those annoying kids that kept putting their hands up to play sport, and <laughs> it was really bad. Obviously I you know tried to play sport against the other able-bodied kids, I was the only disabled kid at my school, and I felt like the only disabled kid in the world. Always came last, always hurt myself, always fell over, you know, but I just kept wanting to play it. Carney's dream was to play goalkeeper in the
0: netball team. She remembers playing with friends at school. She couldn't lift her hands above her head, but one of her teammates would yank them up for her. She says that when she was little, she'd never even heard of a sporting competition for kids with disabilities. But when she was eight
2: her mum found out about one happening down in Brisbane. So mum and dad took me down to Brisbane, just was so excited to find a disabled swimming competition, booked the flight, got me down there. Only race that I, you know, the shortest race on the agenda was a 25 metres freestyle, obviously. And she knew that I couldn't make 25 metres. It's a whole lap, right? There was no way I was so weak. I couldn't lift my arms. I definitely wasn't swimming. But she got there and went, oh, well, we'll just enter in the... <laughs> <laughs> enter in the race and see what happens. Connie was stoked. She'd always loved the water. And now she was getting to compete. Mum's there. She's wearing a togs. Don't know why she's wearing a togs. No one else is wearing their togs. Just thought she was a cool mum. You know, mum was obviously wearing a togs thinking this kid ain't going to make 25 metres freestyle, so I, sh- you know, better be ready.
0: When the whistle blew, Connie took off. She might not have been going fast, but she was going.
2: Yeah, luckily for mum and the lifeguard and me, I made the very, very long 25 metres freestyle in four minutes and 56 seconds. And I won the magical blue ribbon. The crowd was cheering. An eight-year-old Connie was hooked. It was the first time I'd won a blue ribbon, but more importantly, it was the first time I felt good at something. And I also wore it back to school. Showed all the kids my magical blue ribbon. Connie was feeling good, so she made a decision. Sat my parents down in a very official type meeting at the age of eight. (laughs) I told my parents wearing this blue ribbon that I did not want to be GK anymore. That was it. Nipples over mum and dad. I've decided I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Because it's obvious, you know, pointing to my blue ribbon, I'm good at swimming. So that's what I'm going to do with my life. Now, mum just ran off, which I thought she was just going, you know, into the bedroom to call Bev and Jill to say, guess what? Carney's going to be an Olympian. (laughs) But like most mums, she took off to go cry in the, I guess, the cupboard or the shower thinking, what have I done now?
0: Terry knew something Carney hadn't
2: figured out yet. Four minutes and 56 seconds ain't good. She knew that every single disabled kid got the same blue ribbon. Every disabled kid at the
0: comp might have got a blue ribbon, but Carney didn't know it, and neither did Carney's mates at
2: school. The magic thing about that blue ribbon was that everyone believed it. So all the kids at school believed it, and then all of a sudden I was a swimmer. That's how strong, I guess, a label can be when you choose it yourself and then you find your head nodders. You know, my parents just nodded their heads. They didn't say anything amazing. They didn't do anything. They just nodded their heads and they just started to take me to the pool more. I quickly got fast. I was swimming more and more and more and more under a very tough overbodied coach called Otto Sunlightner. He threw me in with all the overbodied bodied kids and said, keep up. Otto Sunlightner was saying keep up, but the doctors sure weren't. I did not look like I was doing well. It's covered in bruises. Everyone kept saying to them, you're going to kill her. What are you doing? But even if Carney's parents had tried to
0: stop her swimming, they probably wouldn't have had much luck.
2: I really probably shouldn't have been doing that much exercise, but you couldn't have stopped me, and it was something that I loved and I obviously succeeded at it. She felt free in the water, but
0: on land it was a different story. At 12 years old, she was still getting around mostly by walking, but she'd fall over and her knees kept dislocating. She was adamant she wanted to walk like the other kids at school and not use a wheelchair.
2: You know, I definitely didn't feel pretty. I definitely didn't feel wanted. I definitely wasn't asked to dance at the high school dance. I felt very disabled. I felt weak. I felt all of those things until I got to the disabled sporting competition. The more Carney
0: trained in the pool, the more promise she showed. Carnie was invited to go to junior development camps for talented athletes with disabilities. And suddenly, Carney's ideas about what it would mean to use a wheelchair changed. She was around young, fit, good-looking, elite athletes who also had disabilities and used wheelchairs. She remembers meeting the legendary Paralympian Tracy Barrell on one of these
2: camps. She went to the 92 Paralympics, Barcelona, and she had no arms and one leg and she used to get around on a skateboard and she was really loud and really funny. I just remember I wanted to be funny and loud like her and swim as fast as her. The best thing that ever happened to me was having those moments in my teenage years of feeling like the majority. When Connie was 14,
0: she started using a wheelchair most of the time. And she started going off in the pool. That year, Terry took Carney to Beijing to compete against athletes from all across the Asia Pacific. And while she was there, she broke her first world record. Carney went on to win bronze in 50 meters freestyle at the Atlanta Paralympics in 1996, and again in Sydney 2000, along with a bronze for the 50 meter relay. And after smashing it in her swimming career. She got started on the speaking circuit. She
2: remembers this one time on the Sunshine Coast. I was on stage at a medical convention, which was like 5,000 medical professionals. And I was there because it was like after Athens. Carney's mum had read about the medical convention in the paper and seen Carney listed as a speaker. And she called Carney and asked if she could come along. Like my mum really desperately wanted to come to this speech. And I'm telling you our Mum's never... I think she's been to one other speech in my life. She came with my dad. And, yeah, I was up on stage. I couldn't see Mum and Dad, but I could see... I did see this, this gentleman. Like, he was three rows back from the stage. And as soon as I saw him, it was like, I don't know, a penny dropping or, you know, a memory flash triggered... Connie immediately recognised this man's face. So the whole time I was on stage, I just couldn't stop staring at him. For the whole 30 minutes, it was just me and him, and I knew that it was bad, I knew it wasn't professional, I knew that everyone else was, like, freaking out, thinking, why is she staring at this one dude? Like, what is going on? But I was just,
0: I was just staring at him. The man Connie was staring at was the doctor who had diagnosed her when she was little. He was the one who took Carney and her parents to the home for kids with muscle-wasting diseases. And in that moment, up on stage, Carney was
2: right back there. I was at that home. I was in Montrose's home with my mum and dad. It was really vivid. It was so dark. The place was so dark. I remember seeing electric wheelchairs, kids, beds, ventilators, and my dad crying.
0: When Carney finished her speech, she was pretty sure she'd stared this dude down so hard he'd be wanting to get the hell out of there.
2: But Carney wanted to talk to him.
0: Not from stage.
2: One-on-one. So I thought oh, I'm gonna to have to like turn my wheelchair up to like active level two. <laughs> and chase him down. But he was actually, he was coming through the he was weaving through the crowd towards me. You know, he was pretty pale, he was sweating. Then Kearney clocks her mum and dad walking towards the doctor. And I realised that's why my mum wanted to come. I just I knew she knew that he was in the crowd. I just knew it. So he was coming, like, one way. My mum and dad were coming, like, really rapidly down the auditorium stairs. My, like, my dad's the fittest person I know. And my mum, you know, <laughs> she couldn't, he couldn't keep up with mum. So they were both at me at the same time.
0: Her mum and dad and her doctor had all converged on Kani. But before anyone could say anything, the doctor pressed a folder into Carney's hands.
2: It was it looked like a medical file, you know. I know what they look like. And it had my name on it, so I opened it up. And I was speechless, you know. For the first time in my life, I was totally speechless because instead of seeing my medical file, he had every single press clipping of my Paralympic career, like... Sydney Morning Herald, you know, Inside Sport, Morning Bolton, just hundreds and hundreds of press clippings of me. And all I could, like, muster up to say to him was, why on heaven's earth do you have all these press clippings of me? And he didn't look at me. He looked at my mum and he said, your mother has been sending me bloody press clippings for the past 15 years. And I don't know who was more shocked, myself or my father, because we both didn't know about this secret relationship that was going on between the doctor and my mum. And then he said to my mum, Terry, now whenever I diagnose a kid with a muscle wasting disease that looks a bit like Carney, I now say these three words, exercise may help. And he doesn't say will because it doesn't always help. But chemo doesn't cure all cancer patients. So he now diagnoses with a side of hope. And those three words are way more important to me than all those medals that I won. You know, my mum from Rockhampton changed the way that we diagnose muscle-wasting diseases in Australia and maybe even the world. Carney still speaks at medical conferences
0: and she's talked to doctors from around the world who say that her experiences have shaped the way muscle-wasting diseases are diagnosed and how they're managed because of Carney's mum.
2: My mother, you know, she sat in her lounge room by herself. She didn't tell her best friends, Bev and Jill, she didn't tell my dad, she didn't Instagram it, obviously. She just chucked those press clippings in envelopes and just sent them. And as she sent them, she hoped she'd be able to keep
0: sending them. But that really wasn't a given.
2: She didn't know what was going to happen. She certainly didn't think I was going to become a Paralympic champion. Swimmer, make her a nana, be happy, live. When Carney was 37, she found
0: out she was pregnant. She was going to be a mum. Her son Kai is now five years old and Carney's taking him to swimming lessons, which so far he doesn't love, but she's not giving up.
1: That was reporter Sarah McVie with Paralympian swimmer Carnie Liddell. Today's story was produced on the traditional lands of the Turrbal, Yugara and Gadigal peoples. Sound design was by Simon Branthwaite. Our executive producer is Sophie Townsend. And a big thanks to Liz Wright for her insight and time on this story. I'm Farza Draki and I'll catch you next time.
0: Remember a time when you had one good outfit? Now the average Australian buys 56 items of clothing a year, and it feels like we're on a fast-fashion treadmill that's kind of hard to get off. So how did we get here? I'm Veronica Milsom, host of Threads, The podcast that undresses the fast fashion industry. From the marketing tricks that are being used on us right now. They're going to use social media to hunt down their prey. Bang, 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 bang. To the lies. So greenwashing
2: is a marketing strategy that gives you a reason to buy.
0: Threads. It's everything fast fashion doesn't want you to know. Threads. Threads. Hear it in the ABC Listen app.